Good morning, everyone. Be turning in your Bibles to the book of Luke. We're going to be studying a passage from chapter 9, Luke chapter 9. Now, in Luke chapter 9, we're going to be looking uh, in particular at verses 23 and 24. But to sort of get an idea of where these two verses lie, the whole chapter of Luke chapter 9, we have the 12 being sent out, and they preached and they healed. We have the confession of Peter, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, said to Jesus. Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. Then there in Luke 9, we have our passage that we'll read in a moment. But then we have the transfiguration in Luke 9. We have a boy healed. We have Jesus' death and resurrection a second time predicted. We have the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We have a village rejecting Jesus. And then finally, we have the cost of discipleship. Now, going back in the middle of that chapter to verses 23 and 24, listen to what Jesus says to his apostles and to all. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so we have here in the middle of this words of Jesus relative to becoming his disciple, and what it takes to be a disciple of his. He had crowds that were following him. We had uh, people in need of uh, Jesus' mercy and compassion. And then we have the message to go out and preach. But finally he just says to them all, "If, if you really... If you desire to come after me, if you want to be a follower of me, this is what it's going to take. And he enumerates three things that's necessary if you're really wanting to follow me. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, number one, let him deny himself. And that's the first stage of becoming a disciple, and that is denial. And take up his cross daily. And that's the second stage of becoming a disciple. And that very simply is death. And we'll explain more about that later. And then thirdly, and follow me. And that is the stage of direction. After denial and death, there is discipleship, following direction. But I want us to go uh, and look at this first stage this morning. And really what I'm hoping to do, uh, I've been given the privilege of 
not only speaking this morning, but also tonight, and the Lord willing, next Sunday as well. So I'm wanting to bring uh, three lessons concerning these three phases of becoming a disciple. And we'll look at the first one this morning from uh, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, and that is denial. Uh, if one desires to follow Jesus, Jesus said, first of all, you've got to deny yourself. And exactly what does that mean? What does it mean when Jesus said, you've got to deny self? Well, denying uh, myself means to deny myself of my desires and my will. Denying myself these things in exchange for Christ's desire and Christ's will. So in the lesson this morning concerning denial, I want us to bring out three points. The first is the principle of self-denial. Second of all, we're going to see Christ's self-denial, which is submission. And then thirdly, I want us to look at the deeper implications of Jesus' submission. So let's get into it and consider the principle of self-denial. In a word, self-denial is submission. And just saying that word submission uh, is something easier said than done. We are Americans. We're a proud people. We have rights set out in our Constitution. And we hear a lot about rights this day. Well, I have my rights and uh, carried to an extreme. Submission is in opposition to that in principle. Submission is a lot more. Uh, submission means to yield. You pull up to some major roads from a secondary road, and you'll see a road sign there saying yield. That means that whatever is coming, you've got to stop. You can't just exercise your right to keep on driving You've got to yield right of way. It means to give in to another. To give in to another. To submit to someone else besides what I want and what I feel I have a right to. Submission involves repentance. It involves obedience. So in denying self and submitting to Christ... Nothing short of full surrender of ownership is required. Ownership. I am my own person. This house is mine. This car is mine. We value ownership. We strive for that day when we can burn the mortgage and say, this is my house. I don't owe anybody. It's mine. I built it. Ownership, it's a sweet word, isn't it? A sweet feeling to know that I own it. This is mine. But when we're talking about self-denial, saying no to self and yes to God, we're talking about ownership. 
and in particular ownership of ourselves. Are we our own person? No, we all know the scriptures which talk about that we were bought with a price and you are not your own. We belong to Christ. We are Christians. We are followers of Christ. We are His. And we submit to Him. We have to give up our lives to Christ. There in verse 24 of the text that we just read, it talks about he who would find his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. So we're talking about the first phase of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that is self-denial. And Jesus demonstrates this. After all, he is our great example, isn't he? Jesus died leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And if anybody left us an example of what self-denial is, it was Christ. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2 this morning. And uh, in my way of thinking, it's one of the most profound scriptures in all of God's Word. Not so easy to comprehend very quickly. It takes some deep study. But in uh, Philippians chapter 2, you might want to go ahead and turn over there. Uh, We're going to be looking, first of all, at the mind of Christ. We're talking about the example of Jesus in showing us what self-denial really is. So if you're there in Philippians 2, consider the first five verses. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you seek not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Then here it is. Let this mind be in you, which was also... In Christ Jesus. So we're looking at the mind of Christ here, thinking not of self, but thinking of others. And Paul illustrates this uh, disposition of mind by telling what Jesus gave up to come to this earth to die for us. What did Jesus give up? What did it cost Jesus? You know, there is the principle in the scriptures of something not being a sacrifice unless it cost me something. You remember King David uttering these words when he knew that he had sinned against God and he was wanting to offer sacrifice. And when he was offered free of charge the elements and even the the animal for sacrifice, he said, no, but I will not offer to God that for which I have paid nothing. Sacrifice costs something. Jesus made a sacrifice for us in our sins, and it cost him. 
it cost him dearly. So let's just look at three things here in this passage in Philippians chapter 2, which uh, indicates what all Jesus had to give up. Still in Philippians chapter 2, picking up with verse 6 where we left off. And here I'm usually uh, using the New King James translation, but I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version here in verses 6 through 8 of Philippians 2, because I think that uh, it renders the best, most literal uh, translation of the words of Paul here. So Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with, a, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. What did Jesus give up in order for you and me to live in eternity with God? What did he give up? Well, first of all, I think in verse 6, we see that he gave up heaven. He was in heaven. In heaven, he was equal with God. He had all the glory of the Godhead. This, I think, affirms the deity of Christ. You know, in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, are these familiar words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Also in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then also added to that Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of, his, of the majesty on high. So this affirms the deity of Jesus also, but he did not selfishly hold on to that heavenly glory and equality. Here, the, uh, the wording of the King James Version uh, is a, a little bit cloudy in the way that we talk today. Uh, it says that uh, he did not consider it robbery uh, to be considered equal with God. But I think the, the truer uh, translation here, the better translation is, uh, did not count the being on an equal basis with God a thing to be grasped. A thing to be grasped. 
Uh, in other words, it means Jesus being in heaven, being equal with God, but knowing that to save you and me from our sins, it was necessary for him to leave heaven, to leave the glory of God that he shared, being equal with God. He gave it up. He didn't hang on to it tenaciously. He did not say, no, God, I, I know what's waiting for me down there. I know what it's going to be like. I know what I have now. I created this world, and you're wanting me to go down there and become one of them? No, God, I, please, I, I, I don't want to leave. What it's saying here is that Jesus, though being equal with God, did not count being equal with God a thing to be grasped, to be tenaciously held on to. But for you and me, he let it go. He left heaven. That's one thing that it cost Jesus for you and me to be saved. He left heaven. And number two... It meant that he came to earth as a servant. Notice it in verses 7 and 8. He came in the form of a servant in the likeness of man. Brethren, it's impossible to fully appreciate the sacrifice that Jesus made as he left heaven. Again, look at the wording here. In verse uh, 7, he left heaven. He did not count being equal with God a thing to be grasped, but verse 7, he emptied himself. And again, the, the wording in the, the King James is, is a little bit hard to understand. Made of himself no reputation. In our connotation today, that leads to thinking uh, in other directions. But the literal translation is emptied. You probably have a footnote of that in the King James. If you'll look in the center reference, it probably has a note there that it really means emptied. And the ESV just translates it that way. He emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself. Uh, he became a servant, left heaven, emptied himself. He became, in the essence of a man, it means that Jesus gave up his rights in likeness uh, with mankind. Now, note that he did not empty himself of divinity. Jesus has always been, is, and always will be divine. But So when it says that he left heaven, he left the equality of being with God, of being God. He took on the form of a servant. When it says that he emptied himself, it means that he emptied himself of the rights of divinity. He is still divine from beginning throughout eternity. Time without end. He is divine. He did not give that up. He was the God man. 
both man and God. So what he gave up was his rights, and now he is a man, like you and me. Uh, he became a servant. He became obedient. So we're talking about Jesus' example of being uh, of self-denial. Keep in mind what we're talking about here. This is Jesus' example. When I say that if you want to be my disciple, you've got to first deny yourself. And here's what it means he's saying to us. Look at me. Look at my own self-denial. And he'll give you an idea of what you must do if you want to follow me. Jesus came to serve and not to be served. In Hebrews chapter uh, 2, verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And in Matthew 20 and verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, he had the right to be served. He left that in heaven. But to serve and to give himself a ransom for many. So what did Jesus give up? He gave up heaven. Number two, he came to earth as a servant. And number three, what he left, he left heaven to die on a cross in verse 8. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And consider also Hebrews chapter 5. In verses 8 through 9, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus died on the cross, and this was the most ignominious death of his day. Crucifixion, a criminal's death. Crucifixion being nailed literally to a piece of wood and left to die. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul says, We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. Our Savior dying a criminal's death, crucifixion, yet he did this for us. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, listen to Paul. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you that, uh, first of all, uh, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according 
to the scriptures. And so here we see that the death that he died was a terrible one. It was physical. It was emotional. Jesus is showing us self-denial. And what all he gave up. He gave up heaven. He came to be a servant. And he died on a Roman cross of crucifixion. That's what Jesus gave up in his self-denial. And that brings us to the last and third point. And that is the deeper implications of Jesus' submission. We've already seen a lot of what Scripture says about what Jesus gave up and the extent to which he submitted to God his Heavenly Father. But I believe if we will dig a little deeper, we see some deeper implications that we will be able to see a little bit more of really what all Christ did give up in this self-denial for our salvation. It begins in the garden, and the sweat mingled with blood of Jesus as he prayed in Gethsemane. You know the scripture, how that it was like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus was praying this the night before his crucifixion. And I understand that sometimes when a person is under such great physical stress that the little tiny capillaries under the surface of the skin can actually rupture and come through the pores of the skin, Jesus was in such earnest prayer, knowing what he faced, that this happened. He prayed that the cup of the cross might pass. What was it about the cross that his fervent prayer produced sweat mingled with blood? Of course, it was the physical aspect. He knew what crucifixion was. He knew that he would feel as a human every bit of the pain and anguish that anybody crucified goes through. Certainly, that was that aspect that he was thinking about. He was also thinking about bearing our sins, of which he was not guilty, not his sins. He committed no sin. But yet, in his going to the cross, he was bearing our sins according to the scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so, he was bearing our sins, and that was in his heart and in his mind. But Jesus knew that after three days he would be alive again. And in just 40 days that he would be back in heaven with God. But yet such foreknowledge did not ease the pain and stress that would cause tiny blood vessels to rupture mingling with his sweat as he prayed. Such agony can best be explained if 
his former glory with God, the equality that Paul talked about, would not be restored in heaven. And I want us to close these thoughts by looking at two scriptures that support that possibility. The first is in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, that we have already read, but notice it again, reading from the ESV. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So while equality is seen in the Godhead in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament you have God. You have God, you have the Word of God, and you have the Spirit of God. But when you come to the New Testament... And the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, which is Jesus, now becomes Son in subjection to God his Father. And at the cross, God highly exalted Jesus above all in verse 9 of what we just read. But the subjection continues. God is still the Father in this passage implying that Jesus is still the Son. Furthermore, Jesus is now said to be at God's right hand. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, the Bible says, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting until his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So it means, at least here in this scripture in Hebrews, that his subjection to God, his Father, continues at least until the judgment day in his second coming. But then go with me to the second scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 28. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. Notice what Paul says. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death... By man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. 
when He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For He has put all things under His feet. And notice. But when He says all things are put under Him, it is evident that He who put all things under Him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to Him, God the Father, then the Son Himself will also be subject to Him who put all things under Him that God may be all in all. That's pretty deep. As head of the church, Jesus will reign over the kingdom of heaven until He comes again. God the Father gave this authority to him, according to Matthew 28, verse 18. So even now in heaven, Jesus is in submission to the Father. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 25 that we just read states that Jesus will finally deliver the kingdom to God the Father at the judgment. This means that Jesus' subjection to the Father continues on even after the judgment through eternity. And so the price that was paid for forgiveness of our sins was Jesus' blood on the cross. That is what saves us that one-for-all-time sacrifice, that blood sacrifice of a perfect human that God accepted as atonement for our sins. But the consequences of denying self and leaving heaven and equality with God to come down to earth, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins extend beyond that one-time historical event on Calvary. It means that our salvation also cost Jesus his equality with God throughout eternity. Jesus prayed for the cup of the cross to pass. I believe that Jesus was not only looking at the physical aspect of the cross, that he was not only looking at bearing sins of which he was not guilty. I believe that as Jesus prayed, he knew that if I go through with this, if I go through with this, it's not going to be like before. I will be forever the Son. Jesus prayed for the cup of the cross to pass. But he says, nevertheless, this is his self-denial, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But it was not the Father's will that the cup of the cross pass, nor to restore the former glory or equality with God to him. I believe that that was a part of the cup of the cross. Again, we can never comprehend uh, the Godhead, the mystery of the Godhead. 
But given this interpretation of the cup that Jesus agonized over in his prayer, I believe has merit in explaining the sweat mingled with blood in the night in Gethsemane. Brethren, I believe that truly not only was Christ our sacrifice, he is our eternal sacrifice. And the phrase, he gave himself for me, takes on new meaning and deeper meaning. How awesome is God's love for us? How awesome is Christ's love for us? How awesome is Christ's self-denial in order that we be saved? The principle of self-denial in Scripture is total subjection to Christ. It is a giving up of ownership of ourselves. The incarnation of Christ on the cross demonstrates what Christ gave up in self-denial to save us. And I believe that the implication of Scripture that even now in heaven Christ is still in subjection to the Father and will continue after the judgment into eternity, demonstrates self-denial in its highest degree. Therefore, if we desire to follow Jesus, if we desire to continue to follow Jesus, And for the person outside of Christ, in order for you to desire to follow Jesus, it is mandatory that we empty ourselves of our desires and will and render total submission to Jesus. Now, how we empty self is by taking up our cross daily, which is the next phase in the Luke chapter 9, verse 23 passage. And that is the next lesson, the Lord willing, we will look at that this evening. We sing a song sometime, none of self and all of thee. And I think that that so eloquently describes the process of self-denial. If you're in this room uh, this morning and you have never obeyed the gospel, you're outside of Christ. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and willing to confess Him before men and be willing to repent or turn from your sins and to be immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you can do that today and leave this building a child of God having submitted to Him. Been talking about self-denial, the first phase of becoming a disciple, and the great example of Jesus' own self-denial. If you're willing to do that, if you're subject to the invitation, we invite you to come now as we stand and sing.